Hello San Pedro podcast, episode 71. Hey, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jess. And this is the Hello San Pedro podcast. Join us as we talk with locals, community leaders, business owners, and people like us who love all things San Pedro. Every week, we'll explore San Pedro's deeply rooted culture, discuss local issues, and spread good vibes. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jess, one of your hosts. Today, our guest is Brandon Evans, a licensed clinical social worker who's doing incredible work for our underserved community here in San Pedro, especially those facing mental and behavioral health issues. This is an important episode to us, but we want to make sure to put out a trigger warning for alcohol and drug abuse, as well as behavioral and mental health struggles. We know some of these topics may hit too close to home for some of you, and we understand if you pass on listening to this episode. There are important resources available in the description notes, so check those out, and I'll let Brandon introduce himself. Uh, Brandon Evans. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, currently, my role is I'm the psychiatric social work manager for Providence Little Company Mary here in San Pedro. Can you tell us about the program that you're with? Sure, sure. So the well, the hospital is Providence Little Company Mary. So we're the only medical center here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, within Providence, we have um, a, quite a plethora of, of specialty programs. And so uh, the three programs that I'm currently over um, in conjunction with our nurse manager, Patricia, is um, what we call our inpatient um, behavioral health unit, which is called Bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, the next unit is our newest unit, which broke ground in 2017, um, and it's called the Outpatient Behavioral Health Center mm-hmm. or Crisis Urgent Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third unit is our chemical dependency portion of the hospital, which is called Providence Recovery Center. Okay. And that's specific to drug and alcohol recovery. That is awesome. I can't wait to get into the details. <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, just to like preface, you know, um, a woman that you work with is really close friends with my mom and that's how we got your, your name. But before that, somebody had mentioned the program just briefly on the podcast. Um, and that's, and I'm so glad that you're actually here to give us all of the details about it because it sounded amazing and it sounds like an incredible resource and we definitely want the community to know. Yes, yes. Super excited to share a little insight into our medical center there. And I think open up everyone's minds to the different services that are available to our community and the adjoining communities next to us. Yeah, very important. Um, How long have you lived, worked in San Pedro? So I'm a San Pedro resident of about 12 years. Um, I moved here from the South Bay, Redondo Beach to San Pedro. to cut down on the commute going to Long Beach State University. Oh. So it was at first going to be just a temporary move. Um, However, I fell in love with the town and just the demographics, and I stayed here. So uh, I'm not sure if I can call myself a native yet, but uh, maybe in the next couple of years I'll be able to. I I feel like the 10 years. You could totally call yourself a native or, you know, San Pedrin for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... Yeah, so out of school, I started mental health. So my specialty is uh, 
um, mental health. So I've specialized in both inpatient and outpatient mental health. And so most recent, my move into the Providence Health System was about 2016, beginning of 2017, mm -hmm. when I transitioned um, to okay. healthcare. So about six years? Yeah, yeah, yeah just shy of six years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I left a county-contracted Department of Mental Health um, agency mm -hmm. to join Providence, specifically for um, our outpatient behavioral health center. Okay. What, it, what was your experience at your former employer? Yeah, former employee was kind of what our unit does, some of our units does now on an inpatient level, but it was more of an outpatient. So okay. similar clientele, these are um, individuals experiencing a uh, predominantly uh, mental health or a substance abuse diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, they were newly diagnosed, um, and so they were considered the TAY age. Mm -hmm. So TAY stands for Transitional Age Youth, mm -hmm. and so these are individuals that are 18 um, upwards up to 26 mm. that are newly diagnosed and so my previous job we got to I got to intervene as a clinician kind of steer them on track let them know there's resources available link them with needed um, benefits mm -hmm. link them possibly with first-time jobs um, so it was really a rewarding job. That's amazing. Um, and so you moved here because you were at school in Long uh -huh. Beach, right? But then you got actually stationed here, right? Were you commuting somewhere else? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I was living in here in town, yeah, I would I was commuting into Long Beach. Was it wasn't terrible? Sometimes the bridge would. That's where your job was after yeah. school. Okay, yeah, yeah, so it was yeah, in yeah. Long Beach. Uh huh. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. too bad. Wasn't too bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Long Beach, bad. and then some of the Lakewood area. So it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Um, How does it feel? now to be working living and playing in the same town oh it's great it really is i encourage most people i tell oftentimes i encourage either what we call new caregivers which are our, our employees that are either looking to possibly move i kind of sell i sell our town of all the stuff that's happened and the yeah. stuff that is going to be breaking ground in the next couple years and you know because it's it's lovely i love it so yeah. for those of you listening you got to see his smile <laughs> he is li <laughs> he lights up when he talks about pedro which is so cool yeah. <laughs> um i'm curious uh you mentioned inpatient and outpatient what is the difference between that yeah yeah so basically how to define say an outpatient mental health clinic or an outpatient substance abuse uh, clinic is the individual is living in their own housing. So they're at home, they're in maybe a sober living, they're in a transitional home, they're with family, and then they stop, they, you know, they, they leave their house and they, they come in for services. So they actually come into the office. Sometimes it's for an hour, they go back home. Sometimes it's four hours, they go back home. So when we hear the word inpatient, outpatient, that kind of, hopefully that paints a picture. So outpatient, they're, they have their own housing, they're living on their own. Inpatient means they're actually um, living in-house there are patients, so they're actually living on the facility. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then um, tell us about the programs um, and what they each are. Yeah, sure, sure. So so I'll start with our, um, our inpatient um, psychiatric unit. Our, our inpatient bridges unit is a 25-bed um, inpatient psychiatric unit um, attached to Providence on the fourth floor. Um, that unit actually takes individuals um, in a um, psychiatric emergency. Um, these patients have, are actually, um, they land either in an ER somewhere or they come into our facility. Mm -hmm. um, 
in order to meet the criteria for that unit, you have to, your mental health has to be pretty severe. Mm -hmm. So you're experiencing active psychosis, you're um, experiencing auditory or visual hallucinations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's really a, there's a mental health barrier, something's going on, um, as well as combination of possibly drugs and alcohol, or vice versa. It could be the drugs and alcohol that has caused the psychosis that's caused the mental health. So either way, that unit is a 25-bed unit. Um, we take voluntary admissions as well as involuntary. Um, and to define that, it's a voluntary admission would be, say, me, saying I have been hearing voices, my depression is through the roof, I haven't moved out of my bed in three days, I need help. And so these kind of cases can come directly up into the unit and be admitted. Um, and then involuntary. So involuntary is an individual found themselves on a 5150, which is a psychiatric um, legal documentation paper saying that um, this individual must commit into a psychiatric facility. Um, so sometimes, in, you know, when, when you go on to a 5150 hold, you either actively suicidal, um, you're um, possibly having th harm or th thoughts to harm someone else. Um, or what the third criteria is you're gravely disabled, which means your mental health has um, caused such significant impairments that you're no longer taking care of yourself. Mm. Um, and so people that can write 5150 holds are um, law enforcement's. Um, I believe some fire departments, um, public service agencies. Um, our hospital staff is equipped to um, manage our ER and some of our other Providence hospitals in the area um, for where if somebody does come into our emergency room, we can have a clinician immediately come and make that assessment to determine if they need to go on a 5150 hold or if they're willing to come in voluntary or they might not really need any of the services we offer. Mm -hmm. So we're able to do that really in-depth um, interview yeah. right right from our emergency room, wow. which is which is really great. Yeah, more direct. Yeah, 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 it really is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, oftentimes we get calls where it could be a family member, it could be a loved one, or it could be the 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 patient himself saying, I need to admit, I need to go to your, your inpatient psych hospital. I need that level of care. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can do kind of a brief assessment over the phone, but we always encourage everybody just come to our ER um, and be seen. And so sometimes people might think that they need that level of care to be admitted, but we're able to intervene and say, no, you really don't meet the criteria. Mm -hmm. And so then we're able to provide resources on an outpatient level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Once somebody's admitted there, so that'll give them access to a psychiatrist. Um, within a few hours, they could be seen to get a full workup, what we call a psychiatric evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's nursing around the clock. So there's 24-7 psychiatric nursing that provides um, bedside care. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, just an array of um, different disciplines. We have psychiatric social workers. Um we have um, spiritual care advisors that can come in um, to run groups. So we have a program structure in that unit, which is basically a Monday through Sunday mm. um, program where these, these patients can actually get active treatment. There's um, 
you know, social interventions, there's group dynamics, there's yeah. all sorts of stuff going on program-wise for them to get better, yeah. as well as medications and stuff that if they're interested in medications. Different layers of being able to treat. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. More as a holistic approach. A holistic, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It really is a holistic approach, um, so yeah. Yeah. I forgot to mention that Providence also has two outpatient programs. So one attached to the behavioral health um, department and the chemical dependency Providence Recovery Center um, and so there that gives an individual say that um, is leaving the inpatient bridges unit and is discharging back home back to their loved ones it gives them an opportunity to enroll in our outpatient program mm -hmm. so they can go back home with their loved one and then they can come back to the hospital Monday Wednesday Fridays 9 to 12 for a three-hour for groups and individual therapy. Um, and then the same is true for somebody leaving our detoxification unit. Mm -hmm. um, they can then go back home, get back to work, but then still come back to the hospital um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days out of the week for three hours to attend group therapy. Um, this is like so much, like this is so much service and resources here at this program. I'm just curious, I mean, do you have to have insurance to be admitted? I mean, what's the... Yeah, so thank you. That's a, that's quite often we get that question. So yeah. Providence, um, we serve the poor and the vulnerable. And mm. so we really, really encourage someone, don't let insurance be a barrier. Um, that unit, that unit can take um, basically any, whatever, it's a Medi-Cal insurance, mm -hmm. LA County, non or, or Orange County, we can manage that mm -hmm. as well as somebody who might have their insurance might elapse so mm -hmm. we can provide that that care to somebody and yeah. insurance isn't a barrier so don't let it be don't let it stop you you know because i know people yeah. will let it like i don't have insurance i can't get the care i need you yeah. know yeah um and so this doesn't have to let them let it stop them we have um what we call medical um advisors and um insurance specialists that mm -hmm. can intervene right in the ER and sometimes in some cases get somebody who is insurance is lapsed mm -hmm. or they just haven't had it for whatever reason right. um, they can get them what we call emergency medical and so oftentimes right in the ER or once they meet the criteria and have to go to bridges yeah. we can actually get them insurance that next day yeah temporary that's mm -hmm. because that's like such a resource that I think is um, inhibits people on one but is also a difficult thing to navigate as yourself, right? Like yeah. Insurance sure is so hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On insurance. So having someone directly there who can, yeah. you know, help sponsor and advocate, or not sponsor, but I guess like advocate and navigate that. Yeah. They know the system yeah. inside and out. And yeah. so they exactly. can basically it's, have everything, mm -hmm. you know, wrapped up in a nice bow. All we need is signatures from the patient. Um, and then it's submitted on, on our end. So. It is complicated and intimidating. So, it, I mean, to have an advocate there to kind of do that for you is awesome. What are the other programs? If I can yeah, perfect. So our, our next behavioral health specific unit is what we call our, our outpatient behavioral health center or psychiatric urgent care. So what that means is... Um, that is a space that we can quickly pull somebody from the ER. So what we do is we... Uh, pull somebody who's actually having a psychiatric emergency um, that meets the kind of minimum criteria um, and we pull them into the OBHC um, and they're um, quickly screened by psychiatry. There's a nurse intervention, um, the social work intervention, um, you know, open unit with um, 
reclining chair. So they're, they're actually chairs reclining that can turn into beds. Oh um, and that gives us optimal space for our, our patients to come in. They'll yeah. have the freedom to walk about. Right. Um, there's full restrooms, showers. There's laundry services on site. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a mini kitchen where they can come help themselves to food. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little outdoor area, too, where they'll need a staff to go outside, but they can go out and get fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the main mission and goal of that unit is just to quickly pull somebody from an emergency department that's having an, a, a psychiatric emergency and, and have a quick intervention. Yeah. Um, have a quick intervention. Um, and that unit can pull that person in and really make a good determination. Mm-hmm. Um, that unit, too, if I didn't say so, it's 24-hour observation. Wow. So the person has 24 hours to come in, um, sometimes a little bit longer if needed, yeah. sometimes less. Mm-hmm. Um, usually about the 12-hour, the 15-hour, the psychiatrist as well as the treatment team yeah. have a pretty good idea of what the what the discharge plan is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so from that unit, if it was a homeless individual that came in that was experiencing some anxiety, maybe he was off his medication, he might have had some suicidal thoughts, you know, to be honest, coming through a pandemic, you know, that was on people's mind, you know, that probably might not have ever thought about that. You know, sometimes after 12 or 15 hours, their suicidal thoughts might have decreased, they might have felt a little hope, and um, and it's really just showing someone that, you know, we're here, we care, here, let's let's wash your your soiled laundry. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's give you some fresh clothes to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, help yourself to food, and sometimes just showing that um, you know amount of amount of love for that for that patient. Humanity. Humanity, yeah. Um, is enough for that person to kind of have a little hope and then to, to be okay to, to discharge. To make so, it. To, to make it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So our team will actively work with that person on a discharge plan, mm-hmm. on linking with shelter if they need shelter. Yeah. Um, maybe advocating with the with a landlord who, who might be in the eviction process mm-hmm. or something or, you know, circling back with family mm-hmm. to let them know, he, you know, this individual is here, your son or daughter is here. They're doing much better. Um, you know, will you give them a chance back at your house? Mm. Stuff like that. So we really, there's a, there's just so much work happening in that small amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear about the third program and then we'll just start doing a bunch of questions because yes. I have a thousand. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us about the third program. Sure. Third, the third um, program is um, what we call, uh, our, it's our chemical dependency hospital within the hospital and the name of that unit is the providence recovery center Mm -hmm. Um, that unit has um, been specializing in what we call acute medical detox since the early 80s wow Um, so over 35 years we've been specializing in uh, detoxification from drugs and alcohol wow um and so it's been here for 35 years yes oh my goodness Uh uh-huh i didn't know that since the beginning yeah, since the beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. It may go back to when that hospital was called Peninsula. Mm, I remember when. <laughs> yeah. I think it used to be called the Peninsula. Yeah, because yeah. I had family members still refer to it as that. And I was like, you mean Providence? You know? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. It's gone through a couple name changes. But now, you know, we're part of the Providence mm-hmm. St. Joseph Health System. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that unit obviously is a, is a specific unit for those that want drug and alcohol recovery and that want to um, detox, obviously, with... Um, Substances out there on the rise, um, you know, fentanyl being one of them, 
which is just a lethal, lethal drug that's taken not only this community over, but even the surrounding communities, um, as well as, you know, heroin. And, you know, somebody might find themselves addicted and want to quit, not know how to. Um, but also there's the, the physical side of, you know, somebody that is, say, actively using a, fence, a drug like fentanyl or opium-based like heroin or even alcohol. Take that long-term alcohol. Abruptly quitting and stopping on your own can be very dangerous, if not lethal. Right. Um, and so somebody experiencing that find themselves in, a, in quite the predicament. And so we provide that service of an acute medical detox where we can come in and detox somebody off a certain substance mm-hmm. medically. Um, with, safely. Mm-hmm. Safely. Um, yeah, because that's something that's interesting that I remember learning was that there's the physicality aspect to the fact if you do, let's say, are someone who is addicted to a substance and immediately want to stop cold turkey isn't necessarily the safest way for you to go about it because of how your body may react and so then that's why treatment is something to seek right Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i'm a big advocate of treatment of sorts um whether it's at a medical detox like ours or another facility that can manage that person um doing it in a supervised medical um way is is the best way to do it you run the risk cold turkey in a motel room by yourself in your apartment by yourself you do really run the risk of um something bad happening um i i specifically what kind of people come through your doors like people yeah people real people real people so yeah good point so good question um let's like here let's hear about them because i think that we often think of them as this other, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This like mm-hmm. distant person that doesn't, we don't relate to and we don't understand, you know? But I, I Jess and I were talking before you came and we're like, you know, these, this, the, this could happen to anybody and it can be our family. And it's so easy to just, just lose a handle on, on, on the, on life really, because life throws so many curveballs. Um, so yeah, if you could tell us about yeah, the people. So, I mean, it's a, it's a range. It yeah. really is. Um, it can be, you know, your, your active lawyer who's active on the bench, the alcohol use somehow creep crept in and slowly took hold. And, you know, there's an intervention that needs to be done. Maybe the wife is at the point of saying, you know, if you have one more drink, I'm going to leave you. And so people, you know, they, they hit that bottom, you know, and they, they come in. And so obviously, you know, whether it's somebody, an attorney of sorts, a lawyer, a judge, um, you know. And I used to be in the journalism industry and that was a major thing was like, um, especially those who were on the front lines, if you will, of like telling the stories of these really hardships or these like moments in our time that are difficult to process. I mean, we, it's only recent that they started introducing um, techniques and ways in which you can handle this and also get treatment to deal with those things that yeah. you're being faced with yeah. and learning about. But alcoholism was something that was huge, built into the culture in a way of it. Right. So right. I could totally understand how that could be a slippery slope too. Yeah. 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 And what we saw too, an increase in is, um, you know, remote work. Everybody wants, you know, either by choice or by default because of COVID, they found themselves uh, at home 
remote working and you know and now i'm seeing tons of ads really selling that work from home this is a bonus so it's like i guess the end thing but you know what a lot of people don't know is is sometimes you know subtle alcoholism or substance abuse stuff that might not have been prevalent has come to the surface because these people are working good jobs making good money they're at home and it's more easier to just, you know, have maybe a drink, they, have a drink. So maybe they, you know, in the beginning, we're doing really good at really not doing it on the clock. And they were waiting till five o'clock. But then slowly the, the disease of alcohol is so subtle that it just kind of slowly starts to creep into where maybe now they're having their first drink at lunch and then they're back on the clock working remote. Um, soon they're having to wake up, they're drinking, and then they're drinking throughout their shifts or, you know, they're at home or laid off maybe. They're, they've lost the job, so they're at home. And then so we're seeing a, an influx even now still just through the pandemic of that. And so, you know, we're getting just – it doesn't discriminate age, yeah. gender. Yeah. It doesn't really – income bracket. It doesn't, doesn't really um, discriminate yeah. this thing. Yeah. Real quick. Just here to let you know about our Patreon. It's a place for those who want to support the podcast and get bonus episodes. For example, this week's Patreon exclusive episode includes an extended interview where we talk with Brandon about marijuana, psychedelic drugs, and microdosing. We also talk about how Brandon recharges on the weekends to continue the incredible work that he does. All right, back to the episode. And these are subtleties. I mean, with, you know, even beyond just alcoholism, like other mental health as well, it's like a subtle creep that just takes over. And then it's so it's difficult to, I think, identify um, Mm -hmm. right off the bat because it could be that it's a day in, day out kind of an experience. And that down the road a month or two months later or even a year later, you realize like, wow, now I no longer have a handle over whatever this is. It's something that is there and it's like, at what point is it a problem? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because like a drink after work is no big deal. Couple drinks, you know, but like, is it every day? Is it all the time? Is it like I need one in the morning? Mm. You know, so at which point is it a problem? So for each individual, it's going to be really their path and and their way into to recovery it really is we see sometimes the individual really doesn't think it's a problem it's the girlfriend it's the wife it's yeah. the mom it's the husband that's a hundred that's and so they true. start to really see out see somebody that is truly an alcoholic they're they're always really seeing the problem last mm-hmm. or on the flip side sometimes it is the individual that might have gone in for their um follow-up doctor's appointment and they're liver enzymes are starting to show signs of alcoholism so it might be just a warning from the doctor hey how much are you drinking you may want to quit or you may want to cut down and then that individual might find themselves kind of in this predicament where they try to cut back but they can't or they tried to quit and they can only go a couple days and then they have to start again and so we see that pattern is is pretty prevalent in the field at what point should someone reach out yeah, good good call. Um, I think, again, it's going to be up to that individual. I, I definitely think if there's your primary doctor is involved um, as making a recommendation that if you continue down this path, you may only have 15 years left to mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. That would definitely be a time to, to intervene. Um, and then you just got to really weigh the, the problem versus the, the reward. So really look mm-hmm. at, you know, functioning your functionings of 
of life. So work, are you working fine? Is alcohol getting in the way of... Are you missing work? Are, are you, you calling out? You. Mm-hmm. Okay, those yeah. type of There's red flags. criteria, and yeah. we referenced the DSM-5, yeah. but just in... In layman's terms, there's just factors you should take into account. Is alcohol interfering with your job? Mm -hmm. Is alcohol interfering with your relationship? Are your finances suffering? Um, You know, do you, are you physically dependent on it? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just a lot of categories to to take in. Mm -hmm. Um, And this goes beyond just alcohol too, because I think fentanyl, opioids, I mean, for many from what I was reading is it began as like a pain subscription, you know, from an injury or something. And then it trickles down into becoming an issue or, um, so yeah. So seeing it, if it, it starts to impact your day-to-day life. Yeah. Substantially negative way. That would be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, what are some of the drugs that are really making its way through our community? And, and maybe that San Pedro might have a bigger problem with, I think on our end, the, the meth pandemic, too, has is, is been on the rise, and it's yeah. pretty prevalent out there, I feel like. Out there, you mean here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, out here, in here, yeah. yeah. In our, in our like community, in the methamphetamine, in Pedro, yeah, methamphetamine wow. is is kind of ripping and roaring. Wow. Um, fentanyl is yeah. not quite to where meth is, but fentanyl use is up, um, we've seen over the last, you know, five years. Um, and then alcohol is really already, all has just continue to wreak havoc and i think with the pandemic has just um increased is it it's increased. i was gonna say the pandemic has probably had a significant impact on a yeah. lot of these maybe pre-existing um issues pre-existing yeah nicely said um and then also the delivery systems don't make it make it um harder i mean it's it's easy now to just open an app and have couple cases of beer delivered to your house person doesn't have to leave they don't have to get in their car which is good and drive well um you know under the influence but then like i said the door-to-door door dash delivery systems don't help but yeah what can you do right i um following up on the other question i had i also have a question for let's say you're a friend a family member you're someone who's a co-worker a significant other like at what point do you it could you recognize and identify this as becoming a problem? I think they use the same criteria as we talked about earlier. That loved one, that individual would just have to really make kind of a, a general assessment on their loved one, on their husband, on their wife, and determine like have they recently lost their job because of their drug or alcohol use or mental health? Have they um, recently had a DUI of sorts? Um, any criminal stuff associated with the drugs and alcohol, which we see, you know, a prevalence of. Um, and so, you know, there's really, you know, the interventions can happen before something significant happens. Mm-hmm. But I think just getting a gauge on on that in general. Um, but if it's, you know, on the mind of the individual, is just having a sit down with that person and really saying, you know, I think I am what I've been observing. I may be wrong, but I feel like, you know, the drug or the alcohol or something else is happening. Mm-hmm. I've seen subtle changes in behaviors. Mm-hmm. You stop going to the gym. You used to like to go to the gym. You stop doing that. You're kind of just staying in now, um, isolating. And so mm-hmm. there's certain little subtle behaviors that a loved one can start to get in tuned with, mm-hmm. um, with drugs and alcohol or change in mental health. The, the isolation component is, 
runs across all the spectrums. And so for some individuals, they start to just um, isolate. Mm -hmm. um, they're in their room. They don't want to be bothered. And so that could be a tall tale sign that something is going on to yeah. sit down with your loved one and ask them what's what's going on. And to piggyback off of off of that question. Um so you're a loved one, your spouse is is drinking a lot. You've told them many times, "Hey, this is what's happening. This is what I'm seeing. I think there's a problem. You're not doing these things, right?" The person is unreceptive. This, uh, you know, the wife or husband who's dealing with a person who has an addiction they're like done, right? They're like, I cannot continue to be in this thing. Now, I'm guessing an intervention would be like a last, kind of like a last effort before ditching your marriage. But, you know, if for people who are right there, who are like, I love this person, but they are not themselves when they're drinking or they're not, you know, a partner when, when they're drinking. How do you facilitate an intervention? What do they do? Do they call the program? Do they say, hey, my husband is suffering and I can't, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, oftentimes that's common. That's kind of how most uh, individuals find themselves to our our, our program. It, it is a loved one that pick, picks up the phone first. It is it is a son or daughter. It's somebody that that calls us directly and says, what do I do? You know, my son, my husband, and, you know, and they'll kind of paint this picture. Obviously, we'll um, kind of make a determination, um, get all the facts we can, and then we strongly, strongly need to circle back with the individual themselves to hear their side. Mm. Um, but that, you know, and then so sometimes that, that will um, seal the deal, is then circling back with the husband, with the wife, mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, their The individual mission. experiencing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're able to intervene. But yeah, I encourage, I mean, our lines are always open if somebody has a question, if somebody has a is concern, there, they call us. Is there ever too early of a time to call? I wouldn't say no. I'm proactive. I, I'm one that wants to get in front of it to avoid something big. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the sooner the better. Mm -hmm. And then you underscored the notion of you speak to the individual who's experiencing the the directly experiencing uh -huh. the um whether it's drug or substance abuse or mm -hmm. um why is that important well it's important for two reasons but primarily um we have to gauge their interpretation of the problem for a husband calling for the wife calling for the loved one calling whoever it is they may interpret the problem as a huge deal and this, this person is in a crisis and if, if they don't get help now, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one side of it. And so when we sometimes will circle back with the individual themselves, the problem isn't as bad as it was presented. So it's just the interpretation. So we want to we assess both parties and really get a, an even kill of what needs to be done. Or maybe the problem is as big as the wife had mentioned. However, the individual, the husband, wants nothing to do with treatment. Right. Um, so now we're in a predicament because the wife, gonna, the husband, the yeah. family member can beg and plead all they want. And that's the hardest part about my job and about it, the in the field of yeah. addiction medicine and um, mental health is we see the problem clear as day. We know if this person doesn't come in quick, something bad might happen. Mm -hmm. But the person is stubborn. They don't want it. They they don't care yeah. if, the, if the wife's going to leave or if they're going to lose their job. And so that's the hard part. So you really have to sit back and 
wait and yeah. just follow up. Our team will circle back with that individual yeah. who may be on day one, wanting nothing to do with our yeah. program. We'll follow back up in three days. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Just checking. We're here. Have you thought about maybe coming in? And we've seen, you know, miracles happen because sometimes tracking a referral, following up on it um, by week three, by week four, that there's something that changed Mm -hmm. that says, yeah, you know what? I think I'll come check out your program. Um, I wanted to talk about exactly that. So really, we were talking about how easy it is for anybody to have a, a type of substance abuse. You know what I mean? So can you kind of paint the picture of like how it starts how it gets worse, how it's not a big deal, and then it progresses, and then they're at the point where their spouse is like, I'm going to leave you if you don't get help, and they do leave. And then what happens to the person? They lost their job. They're not in their home anymore. I mean, is that who we see on the streets? Can you tell us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I I mean, just to the first point of the question, I mean, and like I said, the prevalence of alcohol is, is subtle it really is it's not like anybody starts off having a drink of alcohol at 21 and saying i think i'm gonna be an alcoholic it's just so <laughs> yes. subtle right it really is um it's like a drunk night out you know yeah doesn't necessarily mean you're a party or alcoholic or you know what i mean yeah like, yeah yeah so i think you know addiction in itself that's just people are constantly learning new things and new research is coming out, but it, it could be as simple as just somebody experimented with say marijuana. Now marijuana is legal in most states, but you know, they're experiencing it with marijuana and they kind of like the effects that marijuana had. And they, you know, maybe there was some internal stuff happening where they just weren't okay who, you know, with, with their true identity, something was off, you know, there could be past trauma. Um, there could just be just a, an array of different stuff. But when that marijuana got introduced, that person actually felt content. They felt okay. Their worries were um, beside them. And they were, you know, and so that could have been it. And we see sometimes at a young age, there's substances that kind of altered how people felt. And they, you know, and so that kind of led into other things where maybe it's marijuana and alcohol, you know, as this person grows up. Um, so it could be as subtle as starting from a young age and works its way up. Mm-hmm. So that's one example. And then mm-hmm. so now there's marijuana and alcohol involved and 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 soon maybe the alcohol increases and their marijuana decreases um and you know that person that example i'm i'm painting the picture of just likes how they felt when they had two or three beers in them in their system and then you know the thing with our human bodies are such a unique mechanism um there's something called a tolerance and so you know those two or three beers after so many times doing it really has no effect it really starts to lose that initial effect. So the thing with tolerance is then now we have to go from two or three beers to four or five beers. To feel the same way. To feel way. the same way. Um, and I think that's my just my opinion is kind of how I feel like, um, you know, the addiction can start to, to wreak havoc. Um, so now we're up to a 12-pack a day just to kind of get the effects. And, you know, soon 12 the 12 beers doesn't do it. So we're having to add hard alcohol to kind of get those effects in. Um, mm-hmm. And now we're a couple years into this drinking pattern. And now um, the physical stuff starts to come in where now our, we have such a high tolerance of alcohol. Our body actually needs it to kind of feel normal to be able to get up in the day. To um, so like function. and Just to function. It really is. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of just a, a picture I painted of just what we see that can 
happen quickly to mm -hmm. to anybody. Um, I'm curious. So um, I was researching you, and I saw that you've pretty much dedicated your life and work career to this specifically to um, mental health, to substance abuse, to treatment of all of that. What was there an experience in your life or some pivotal moment that has impacted you to go toward this path? Like what yeah. moved you to So so good call. I'm actually uh, um in recovery myself, so if I must add. And so part of my um journey to become a social worker some time ago was drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um were um were a part of my like early high school, mid high school days. And so I kind of found myself in the same trap that I'm now being able to help others with. And so luckily for me, it was a short a short run, a short stint. Um, I was scared straight enough to kind of change some ways, but I think that initially some time ago kind of helped pave my road into becoming um, a clinician. You know, at that time, you know, I was, I tried an array of different jobs, um, you know, I tried to follow in the paths of my father in the construction union, um, tried that hard work, but um, it, it didn't last. And so kind of at that time, I was looking at, um, you know, a path. But I think that experience I had um, with drugs and alcohol personally mm -hmm. kind of propelled me into the field of social work. Um, and I had always had that that nat to or that niche to to help others. Um and to really recover and to share the good word that people can recover. There's hope, there's resources, mm -hmm. um, right in your own backyard, mm -hmm. so. That's incredible, because I always feel like that it's pivotal when someone who's undergone an experience can actually be the one to say, hey, I'm here to help, and I'm living proof of what the other side can look like, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Of what the other side of treatment can be. It's totally different coming, like, from it coming from somebody who's been through it, you know, mm -hmm. if you're if you're in the middle of it, and somebody says you can get better, but they've never experienced mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard. Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever, you don't know. But to hear it from somebody who's been through it, I mean, that has to be a lot more impactful. Yeah. What do you feel is like the most misunderstood thing about people that are undergoing that are, and maybe we could split this into one is. Um, substance abuse, the people that are undergoing that. And then after, if we can address the people who are experiencing mental health, like downfalls of some kind. Well, I think for, so for the mental health, and I think this will kind of bleed into the substance abuse, but I think for the mental health, it's just the stereotypes and the, the bias, the biases associated with it. Um, you know, it's, um, sad to see in some cases quite often more than not, um, a family member, a loved one who might not be so well versed in, in mental health, it might be a new experience. Um, it might tell their loved one or tell you know whoever it is is experiencing depression of why don't you just get over it? Why are you moping around? And so really that can do really more harm than good. And can you elaborate on that? Because I think that that's very important. That's mm -hmm. commonly the thing that. Or um, there's like this um, like sh very like a shame connected to it because you know you're not really yourself and you're not feeling like how you should feel and you wish you could just be okay and go do what you want to do and be happy but 
you can't, you know? And so it's like, why don't you just be positive? You know, why don't you go do something or go whatever, fix to stop being so sad, you know? But it's like, it's not that easy. It actually is, um, like debilitating. A, yeah. It's debilitating, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that would be my other addition for the, somebody experiencing active addiction, um, for, you know, obviously when somebody does cross that line of, having the addiction versus not. Um, and then, you know, a family member might say, um, why don't you just quit? And they don't understand, like, just quit. I did that. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes just quitting cold Turkey or just stopping on your own, um, is impossible for somebody that's crossed the line, of physical addiction to now they're dependent on it. Um, you know, and so sometimes that can be a bias or a, you know. yeah. to, to speak to that real quick, it's just um, so many people, I think, see these issues through their own eyes and experience, you know, and they can't imagine, you know, really what it's like to to have the addiction, you know, maybe like for me, I don't I don't really feel like I have an addiction problem, like, but people in my family are like, nope, we got the addiction gene. If I ha- if I have this, I will have more. You is know, that true? is that a thing? Like the addiction gene? Well, not the addiction I mean, gene, but like I that's mean, what I heard. About, you know, but I would like to know that as well. Like, is there a thing in some of us that it's like I will become an addict? Predisposed. Predisposed. There is research that points to that. Um, so I think if it's hereditary and it, and it is in the family, just be really mindful. If somebody is just, say, normally drinking or has a, you know, a, um, a card for marijuana, just, you know, use as medically prescribed. And But, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that it could definitely be mm-hmm. there's that gene that, you know, and so just be mindful mm-hmm. <laughs> moving forward with you know, not just drugs or alcohol, but um, work or because, you know, addiction can wear bears many faces, um, yes. you know, and so, you know, so. I'm so glad that you brought that up, because I think that when we think of addiction, we oftentimes think of it in substance. Yes. But we don't mm. think of the other forms in which it can. Yeah show up in others so what are some of these other yeah so i mean i mean for us at providence so we do see some that you know say had a severe alcohol problem and they they've come into our recovery center they've detoxed they've um attended our outpatient programs um and and you know they they've kind of cured the alcoholism that they they they've they're no longer drinking however now all their time and energy is now focused in work Mm. So they've just drowned themselves in work almost mm-hmm. seven days a week. They're mm-hmm. on calls. And so sometimes just your what a normal nine to five job could for some, you know, you've heard the term workaholic. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Somebody could just switch one addiction to another. Obviously, I would say, you know, work, working and making money would be a healthier addiction than alcohol. So some people can rationalize, well, I'm no longer drinking. I'm just working all the time. Yeah. Which might be true, but there could be family members that are suffering. There might be young kids that now they've lost their dad because he's always at the office. Or um, the husband or wife who now, you know, no longer present. not leaving yeah. room for other yeah. things in your life. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's where, like, life becomes unbalanced, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, gaming is one thing that comes to mind for me, mm. too. Yeah. No, it is. Definitely now. Yeah on the right and our and our phones like you know what i mean i think that i mean 
I, I've totally taken a look before, like around the room, and it's just like everybody is on their phones, or even in the family, in the home. It's like all of a sudden I'm taking a break, or I've just finished cooking dinner, and I'm looking around, and it's just like my husband, my stepdaughter, my son. You know, my son's on his iPad. My everybody's on their devices. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like whoa, we have to like throw a wrench in this because mm-hmm. it is too much. So. You know, is screen addiction a, a real thing? And is it a problem? I don't know. Is, is this, can people come to you for that? So, no, I'm sure there's, <laughs> like, yeah, no. not at Providence. There's probably a, a, a agencies yeah. or centers that are popping up left and right that can address that. Wow. Yeah, Providence, no, we specialize in just the, the, the drugs and alcohol, yeah. specific alcohol opiates, yeah. um, different types of pain um, yeah. uh, pills that people find themselves addicted to. Um, I wanted to also ask about marijuana because you brought it up. Um, you know, marijuana for me, I kind of always saw it as like a harmless drug. You know, mm. I've only I mean, I've only dated a guy who did it and I that's the first time I ever tried it. And then, you know, when I wasn't seeing him, it was done mm-hmm. and it wasn't a big deal for me. But is there a time when I mean, can marijuana be addictive? Can it really um, I mean, is there some harmful impacts there with marijuana? Good, good, good question. Um, you know, in my opinion, you know, there's not a really a, a physical uh, um, addiction that can happen with marijuana. Um, it could be more of just like a mental addiction or, a, a, you know, um, something like a behavior that somebody has to wake up and just that physical, you know, when I say physical, I mean like internal physical, but maybe like a behavior that somebody yeah. does that it becomes, becomes routine, a habit. a habit or ritual right. where that's just part of it. So yeah. that can happen. So I kind of wanted to talk about your experience, your professional experience. You've worked with um, Beacon, you volunteered at Beacon House, which is a local organization here, if you can describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Beacon House is actually a, um, just a phenomenal program. Um, it is actually, um, I, I back when I mentioned my substance abuse and stuff, I actually um, entered into Beacon House, come to find out. Um, so I actually have some firsthand experience as, as a... You're an alumni. Alumni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so amazing. I, my, yeah. That's incredible. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're in partnership with um, Beacon House currently. Our nurse director, Patricia, actually just... Um, did a site tour there last week. Um, I was telling her all the good stuff that they're doing. And so we're really excited to um, partner and really um, use this time now to figure out how best our both of our programs can collaborate and, mm-hmm. and partner up. Mm-hmm. So um, we definitely want to have the Beacon House as an episode because we I mean, we keep hearing about all the good that they're doing. Um, and I've actually met a few other like alums who have just yeah. gone through Beacon House and they have nothing but good things to say. And let me tell you, I'm always seeing Beacon House boys like cleaning up the streets. They're with trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so involved with the community. Yes. And I absolutely love what the program's doing. So I can't wait to have them on. Yeah. Yeah. They would love that. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out. Um, you also worked with uh, Mental Health America, mm-hmm. which is for those who don't, it's the nation's leading community based nonprofit that's dedicated to addressing the needs of those that live with mental illness and promote the overall mental health of everyone. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there? Cause you were there for yeah, the job I commuted to in Long Beach was actually um, Mental Health America of Los Angeles. They're just huge, huge advocates of, um, you know, 
destigmatizing just the biases of mental health and drug drug addiction. Um, and I really got a good solid foundation there um, on on stuff that I can I'm happy to share now with Providence um, and in my current work practice. But really identifying somebody that you know oftentimes if somebody has a crisis, mental health crisis or whatever, and then they're actually diagnosed with a mental health diagnosis. For some people, that is stigmatizing themselves. Mm -hmm. They're yes. like, oh my God, I am diagnosed with depression. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, really that agency did a really good job of letting that person know, no, that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. You're not your diagnosis. It's just, just something to help, obviously, the professionals, medication, but you're, you're not your actual diagnosis. Yeah. Some people are just, you know, being diagnosed at, say, a young age at 18 or 19 with schizophrenia or something, they would just wear that on their sleeve and really just... So that agency did a good job of destigmatizing and letting people know that's not who they are. You're your whole person that just happened to be somebody with this diagnosis. Yeah. This isn't your identity. This isn't who Thank you. Yeah. Just to mm -hmm. comment on that, I think that, you know, we, like as society, I think we're just starting to really see that mental health is just health, you know? Um, and if we got like diagnosed with um, like a problem with our actual bodies, or, yeah, yeah, diabetes or like um, a condition, you know, it's like it doesn't really change who you are, it might change how you do things and what you have to change. Yeah. But whereas you have a mental health diagnosis, it it's like you are crazy, yeah, you yeah, know? Definitely. Um, and and I, I think that's excellent that there's programs out there who are destigmatizing it, you know? Yeah. Um, I want to comment too, like I feel like in the, uh, you know, I always, we talk about the Latino community. Are you Latino or no? I am, yeah. Yeah, part, yeah okay, cool. Yeah. So you might, you might understand. But I just feel like there is that strong sense of like just, get over it you know yeah, and there's yeah. not a lot of patience it's not a knowledge or understanding yeah. of these yeah. yeah and it's not just latinos it's everybody yeah. you know we a lot of people will have those but there's just kind of just like get over it thing mm -hmm. you know so i'm really glad that we're doing this episode because i think it's going to bring a lot more awareness and um just re-emphasize that mental health is a part of your health in general that yeah. needs to be acknowledged and that things that are going on in your head can impact, you know, how you're able to get through life, you know, yeah. and that they can be addressed and treated. Yeah. There's which is resources. awesome. There's free resources at mm -hmm. that. Sometimes people think, yeah, oh, I don't have the money or, you know, I don't have insurance or, mm -hmm. you know, but it's really, there's, there's, yeah. don't That's let that be a barrier. If you need the help, get the assessment, get the help. Mm -hmm. So do you have any that you can name free resources or resources that people can go to? So I first want to give just our, I can give our main line. Um, so that would be kind of a, a great start to somebody um, specifically for um, mental health. So somebody may be experiencing mental health themselves, may just not be on their A game. Mm -hmm. um, and so any and all people are welcome to call our 24-7 intake line. Um, and that number is going to be 310-514-5480. Um, we'll have our, all the links in the show notes and all the info in the show notes perfect, so they can just go directly perfect. to it yeah so that's our 24 7 intake line um, that line is actually uh, manned by a psychiatric nurse and or a psychiatric social worker um, who can take that call and kind of help that individual navigate um, 
the system. They could provide other resources out mm-hmm. there um, or directly get that person to our ER so we can actually do an interview. Um, I, I wanted to ask, this is something I kind of ask everybody and I would love to get your perspective on it. Is there anything you know, in the community of San Pedro that really concerns you? I can't really identify. Obviously, I mean, housing, that's probably everyone's piece. I mean, you know, if I were to, to identify, it, it would be um, nice to have more, you know, shelter available um, in-house. Obviously, we do have limited. Sometimes it's full. And so sometimes our team at the hospital have to reach out to other mm. communities mm-hmm. as opposed to having, you know, keeping everything in-house. You yeah. know, we're providing the inpatient and the outpatient mental health. Yeah. Um, it would be nice just to have those resources here. Housing, to sum it up, housing. Yeah. yeah. All right, last question. What excites you about San Pedro? We heard that you loved it so much, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. What excites you? I think um, the, the um, waterfront, I think... I was one that really didn't want change. I was like, keep keep <laughs> the waterfront, the waterfront. But I'm really excited to see this work that's being done. I mean, it is amazing work. So I think it's going to be breaking ground. Is yeah. it next year or the year after? Who knows? Um, when the whole protocol um, is yeah. going to be up and running. So that that that's exciting. And, and also, uh, as a side note, just um, the quality restaurants and stuff that are coming 6th street 7th street there's some um, good food there's here there's good food and so my <laughs> wife and i are really good you know foodies when we want to be so we we get to just really stay local and mm-hmm. really just um enjoy yeah. some of the fine dining here so have you I, enjoyed the eating out because that was one it was like we took a whole pandemic to get us outdoor dining but it's yeah, nice right it's really nice mm-hmm. so yeah that's always a plus here um, thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you, Brandon. That was so insightful and appreciate everything you guys do over there. Yeah, Pass. not a problem. We, I mean, we're incredibly fortunate to have such an amazing resource here in our community, ready to take care of our loved ones, you know, or anybody who might be experiencing, you know, some struggles. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having me. Awesome. all for our episode follow us for more on instagram at hello sp podcast huge thanks to rock ashfields at palm realty boutique for providing us such a gorgeous recording space and thank you to all of our amazing patreon supporters leave us a review and share this episode with your friends neighbors and co-workers see you next week